You're listening to The Nerve, an English at WIT podcast. In this episode, we are talking to the award-winning poet Anne-Marie Caron, who gave an online seminar a couple of weeks ago in WIT on the way in which literature can develop a critical consciousness in students. This was organised by our own Dr. Christia de Bruyne and funded by the National Forum for the Enhancement of Teaching and Learning in Higher Education. Anne-Marie has had her poetry published in the Poetry Ireland Review, The Stinning Fly, and her first collection, Blood Root, was shortlisted for highly prestigious awards in Ireland and the US. She's a member of the Writers in Prisons panel, co-funded by the Arts Council and the Department of Justice, and was also the artist in residence at the Centre Culturel Irlandais Paris. It's very nerve-wracking having to speak French at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> so welcome, Anne-Marie and Krista. <laughs> and thanks so much for taking the time to, to join me on the podcast. Um, Anne-Marie, first, I'd like to ask you about the seminar um, to tell us a little bit for people who might have missed it um, and also to tell us a little bit about the poem that you focused on in the seminar, which was Six Ways to Wash Your Hands. So do you want to tell us maybe a little bit of, you know, about the relevance of the poem and and why you chose it as an example of how we might get students to, to develop a critical consciousness? Hi, Jenny. Lovely to be sharing the space with you. And hi, Krista. Um, the seminar was a lovely opportunity to talk about um, literature and books and poetry as a tool for developing critical consciousness. And I chose to read Six Ways to Wash Your Hands, a poem from my debut collection, Bloodroot, which is dedicated to the Mother and Baby Homes Commission of Investigation. And it's a poem that I wrote when I took a pilgrimage to the place where my father was born. So my father was born at the Castle Pollard Mother and Baby Home in 1951. And I'd always wanted to write something about uh, that place and kind of took myself off down there one Easter Monday to kind of walk around the site of that um, former home. And as I was walking around, I uh, came across an old health worker's leaflet um, lying in the grass, a bit of kind of debris. And I picked it up and it was a diagram um, which showed six ways to wash your hands. And so that um, diagram became kind of the template then for writing this poem. But I suppose poetry for me has been, um, you know, a way of, uh, making sense of complex life experiences, a way of um, looking at the subject of family and home and identity and belonging. And it's the poetry that I turn with, um, I suppose, those questions that are kind of tricky to answer uh, around um, the subject of home and belonging. Um, you know, I'm very kind of interested in what, uh, I'll paraphrase now, but Joyce once said in an essay, he said, all poetry is, is an act of revolt against actuality. And I think we we channeled some of that revolt in the seminar with students. And it was a nice opportunity to engage students and readers in this idea of um, poetry being a space for uh, transformation and you know there's a long there's a long I suppose history in Ireland of um, the spoken word having a kind of 
magic making currency <laughs> from the songs of Amergan right down through uh, the Gaelic writing tradition into the present day. So, so we covered all of that and more. It was a really lovely, rich session. Fantastic. And it sounds as though it's it's just a, a, an accessible and interesting way into thinking about issues around the mother and baby homes that maybe students hadn't considered before. I suppose, you know, did you find that that was a reaction from people in the group? The questions from students were just so thought provoking. I mean, it's always interesting when you could work out into the world and you you don't necessarily know how it's going to be received or read or how it's going to land with people. But I think that that particular poem, Six Way to Wash Your Hands, really resonated. Um, it came out in the debut collection in 2017. So it was, you know, before the repeal, the eighth referendum. It was also before the Mother and Baby Homes report. So I suppose, you know, poems have this magic way of kind of, you know, f- speaking or shining at the right time and um, I think people gravitated towards that particular poem because it does allow us a space to think about you know what happened to women in Ireland through the mother baby homes a lot of these women had their head shaved and their their name taken and their their clothing taken and and their and their children taken and I I it just it heartens me really to see the interest in the poem from students because you know it's not this is not history it's not a subject that is history it's a very recent past and there's many survivors out of the homes who are still living with this reality of trying to find their birth certificates or trying to find their um birth documents and um it's just very encouraging to know that uh this present generation of learners and students and critical thinkers um, have taken the subject of poetry as a way to discuss this to heart. You know, they've taken the poem to heart and they're they're very engaged, I think, in this discussion of rights and social justice. And it just seemed to me the students were able to make those connections between literature and poetry and how that might create a space in the world for conversation as well. So it was it was just lovely to meet them. They're, they had they had fantastic insights and people also read the poems in a way that, you know, is new to you as well sometimes. And that's always a joy. <laughs> Great. It's brilliant to hear. We always like to hear about our, our good students and <laughs> their participation. But um, you were talking about the way that it was received by the students. You know, how was it received by the survivors of, of mother and baby homes? Do you know? The response has been very positive to um, Bloodroot. So that's the collection 2017. Now, I have another collection coming out uh, this year, The Poison Glen with the Gallery Press and that's yet to kind of land in the world and find its readers. But the response to Bloodroot was very positive. I suppose I, I well, I hope that I conveyed that the, the subject is very close to my heart because I have a family connection to the mother and baby homes. And I think that was understood by, by readers and the messages from survivors, um, they're just, They've always been very encouraging the people that I've I've spoken to through the homes and um 
what's the word I'm looking for? Just very engaged with the poems and uh, it's so important to have that that story of survival shared. So I've not had any um I've not had anything other than a warm response to Bloodroot. Yeah. And I'd often meet survivors now at um at readings. I get a lot of messages from survivors and I'd often be sharing a space with survivors as well for for readings or for events. And it's it's very it's cathartic for me as well to have that conversation about my family with other people who'd who've also been uh through a similar situation of family separation and loss and reunion and all the complex dynamics that come with that. And so the poem is this meeting place, I suppose, for us to yeah, that's, be in together. That's really interesting, isn't it? It's 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 fantastic really that it can that it can do that, the power of poetry really. And Krista, can can I ask you just can you tell us a little bit about meeting Anne-Marie and, and how you were inspired to organise this event? Because it is, you know, it's an unusual one that we don't always see popping up, uh, you know, as as a seminar, the type of seminar that we might be uh, used to seeing, you know, doing doing the rounds in WIT. Yeah, um, I was delighted to do the seminar because it's so interesting for me and for the students to, you know, bridge theory and practice, you know, so for them to get to hear Anne-Marie talk about the poem was, to me, the most insightful part of the seminar. Um, really, it came about um, through the National Forum, um, who funded this seminar series, and um, it really was a way to, to draw on my own research, which focuses on um, teaching critical thinking and critical consciousness through literature, and then looking at Anne-Marie's poem as a way of doing that. So really, the research focuses on you know, as we well know, Jenny, trying to get students to think critically and analyze and evaluate and so on. And, you know, in doing that, we get them to consider all of those isms like feminism, sexism, racism and so on. And it's great to talk about those things. But really, the learning um, is when you engage with the literature. So it's about using literature as a, a platform to developing critical thinking in students and ultimately critical consciousness where they're more aware of the world and their uh, position in that world, you know, Um so, yeah, it was a, a great opportunity. So I, I talked a little about the research and then Emery talked about her poem and the students talked about how it stimulated um, their critical consciousness, their ability to see the world in a different way and to look at how, you know, human interventions have shaped reality. Um, one thing that Freire talks a lot about is, you know, this idea of um, critical consciousness as a you know a, a journey that starts with that magical consciousness that I think most of us in Ireland are familiar with we've all heard the phrases you know that's God's way and offer it up and that's your cross and various other I suppose things we've heard over the years that have been used to legitimize you know these kind of um, situations but you know really um, they come from a, a lack of critical thinking you know because if we think critically about the mother and baby homes I mean none of it makes any sense you know, it was it was really all came down to, to power and exploitation. And I think Anne-Marie's poem just really captured that so well. So to get students to engage with a poem was really powerful. And then to hear um, Anne-Marie talking about it and to just, you know, as Anne-Marie said, you know, the most interesting part, I think, for both of us, Anne-Marie, was just gauging the students' responses. 
you know, sometimes at the end of these seminars, you're you're kind of waiting for questions. And, you know, um, that really wasn't the case. We had um, a few of the students in straight away. And I think we had to cut them off, Anne-Marie, did we, after about an hour, you know, which is a really lovely way to finish an academic seminar. It doesn't always happen that way, you know. So um, it was a, a lovely joint venture. That's fantastic. And, you know, I my, my niece went to college in the States. And I think one thing that they do so well over there is they kind of make you uh, do subjects that are outside of your discipline. And so she was doing psychology and she was taking a history of art module. Um, And I think for English literature students, you probably do get a great deal of, um, you know, critical consciousness embedded, you know, critical thinking is embedded in the way that we teach and embedded in, in, I suppose, thinking about the texts on your course. For other students around the college, that might not be the case. Do you think it would be like really useful if we were able to use literature in that way in, you know, in courses like computer studies or science? You know, I just wonder whether, was there any representation from other departments, Krista? And not as of yet, Jenny, but I think we're always open to these developments. I think it's a wonderful way to um, help students develop their critical thinking and, you know, um, develop their knowledge of of the arts and literature. I mean, that's part of a well-rounded, you know, education, particularly in the humanities. And, you know, in, in WIT at the moment, as you know, we're moving towards a double major structure in our arts program, which is really going to benefit the students. So in that sense, we support it, but it means that we are losing this critical thinking module, which was a module uh, dedicated to developing students' critical thinking and writing skills. So it's never been more important to embed the critical thinking into our various programs. Um, And it just happens that it it fits so lovely uh, with the study of literature because, you know, we have so much room for contemplation um, in works of poetry and, and literature. And Six Ways to Wash Your Hands was just one that really... I think engaged the, the students and the reason I chose it was first of all I knew they liked the poem um, but but secondly it's something that as Anne-Marie said it's not history it's still very much part of the lived experience you know and many people have lived connection um, to the mother and baby homes and that kind of thing you know is always interesting to students and you know Bell Hooks talks about that about finding where the pedagogy is you know if it's in popular culture or if it's in you know um, something of, of local or regional significance find it and create the learning there, you know, rather than um, just didactic learning, you know, from textbooks. So I think that's what we did. And I think it worked really well. Fantastic. Um, and Marie, can I just bring you back in about, about Bloodroot, actually, because Bloodroot is really concerned too with you know, the idea of belonging um, and recognition that sometimes Irish women in your family were, and in society more generally, I suppose, too, um, were often deprived of. So can you tell us a little bit more about that theme that runs through the collection? Sure. Well, the the title Bloodroot is, um, you know, the Bloodroot is, is an actual plant, it's a wild plant, and it can be used for healing wounds and used incorrectly it can also be poisonous and so in a way the book kind of um speaks to that theme of um harm and healing particularly in relation to the lives of um women and and rural women um i thought one of the things that came up for me when i was writing the collection is uh you know, the period of the 1980s in Ireland, because that's the period where I first went to school and where my critical thinking first um, kicked in. 
And I was just amazed, you know, that so many poems kept coming up um, themed around 1984. You know, 1984 would have been the the year um, that sadly, tragically, Anne Lovett died, the 15-year-old schoolgirl who um, had concealed her pregnancy and who died um, after going into labour alone in Grenard um, in Longford. It's also the year that the Kerry Babies case broke in um, Kerry. Um, 1984 would have been uh, also the year that Mary Manning led the Dunstore strike um, against apartheid. Uh, she, she kind of led the, the, the protest there. So it was there was a lot of there was a lot coming at coming out and breaking through in 1984, and there was a lot of silence being broken and. I think the 1980s in particular was such a significant period in terms of Irish feminism and shifts and changes. And I suppose a lot of that came through in the book. And in a way, when you start a poetry book, you don't really know what you're going to write about. I mean, I, I kind of set out to maybe put together a poetry collection and I thought that I was going to write a book that was kind of themed around landscape and um you know, growing up in Northwest Donegal, and uh, I had no real sense that I was going to go down that road with the poems. But it's almost, you know, writing is this process. That the the more you reflect and self-examine, and the more you spend time with the 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 process of writing, you're kind of excavating, you know, and and the poems re- reveal themselves. And so, I suppose I discovered about halfway writing through writing it that it was really a book about the lives of women and women that I've known growing up and women whose lives have been public made public in the media in the 1980s. So it was an it was an interesting journey journey writing it and it was um you know it's it's always lovely to see students engaging so closely and to have the opportunity to give the seminar with um, Krista and see how she put it all into context and bring all this critical theory and and just putting a frame around it, you know, that is different to the one that I have around the work, which is deeply personal. Um, you know, wh- what a gift to have, have students read it so closely and, and take something from it. I was also really interested in, in the poem Sisters um, from about the many foster siblings that you grew up with. That was fascinating to me. Um, and it also made me think about the title of the, of the collection. You know, so the the idea of Bloodroot to me, you know, made me think about kind of rhizomatic plants and, and Deleuzean theory and the way in which, as you say, it can be something that that poisons or strangles you almost, or it can be something that makes these really positive connections. And that poem for me really kind of stood out as something that could have been about a very damaging um, experience in one sense, you know, to have all of these additional siblings brought into your family. It could have it could have gone a different way. And yet it really focuses on sisterhood rather than the difficulty of dealing with the situation like that. Um, is that how you see it? You know, did you those connections, the connections that you make with all those different girls in, in so many different ways was just fantastic to me. It was just a beautiful way of looking at that experience. Yeah, I think the, the whole book became this interesting way of looking at the duality of experiences. And um, 
Yeah, I think that poem, Sisters in particular, captures what was really rich about the experience of growing up alongside children in care. Um, the girls that I lived with were incredibly resilient and given that they'd been separated from their families and that in many cases terrible things had happened to them and um, you know their their life in their young lives these girls had had seen a lot of um, ad- adversity so what they really taught me was um, I think strength and community but also the power of, of um, using your voice and how important it is when you have a voice to use it so in many ways m- becoming a writer is quite bound up with living with these uh, girls who were looking for community, I suppose, and needed community and um, taught me a lot about silence as well. Um, when, when it's appropriate to hold a silence, when it's appropriate to break a silence, um, how silence can be both a tool and a useful tool and when it can also be a weapon, you know. So a lot of what I learned about uh, silence and l- language and um, the and dynamics, you know, uh, came from them and kind of translated onto the page later when I came to writing. But overall, I would say it was such a rich experience growing up with foster siblings. I mean, there's this long tradition in Ireland and Gaelic culture of fosterage it runs very deep in our psyche now what I would say is you know the difficulty of growing up alongside kids and carers that the the wider system itself is under resourced and you know it's um you know not every not every child in this country has a social worker or access to the supports they need so it was quite difficult to be entangled with a system like that you know that was intrusive and and quite invasive but uh but the girls I grew up with you know we had just a great sense of community and um it was a joy really and a gift and I've read that you kind of really I can't remember right it was an interview I think I read with you that that you really kind of live the dynamism of poetry you know that you feel kind of every twist and turn of the language and like hearing hearing what you took from them in terms of silence and in terms of language is just really interesting I don't know if I look back on you know formative moments of my childhood and go god I really learned about language or you know what I mean I don't know if I'm able to kind of reflect in that way but I probably did learn important things about um that that impacted me and shaped me I think at the time but I I did like that idea that you feel the language and you feel its rhythms in your poetry um how important do you think the body is in poetry not just in terms of its thematic you know importance but also kind of how it's written putting your body into the writing of it and and how it's received maybe as well is there is there something you know do do you feel it physically when you are writing you know do you feel it in your bones definitely I, I think of it not just as an emotional or intellectual pursuit but I do think of it as a physical one and a bodily one I mean the, the heartbeat is the first song or rhythm that you hear you know and you know, young children are very attuned to rhyme and rhythm and repetition and the musicality of language. And in a way, as a poet, you're just you're you're continuing that interest. 
Um, I suppose growing up speaking Irish as my first uh, language, you know, that that shaped hugely the English that I speak because in in Irish there's such a keen, close relationship between poetry and song. And, um, you know, the poem is a kind of song. It's it's words carried on breath. It's um, Irish is so, so lyrical, you know, and I suppose I just think that it's impossible to separate the song and the poem and the body. And when you're writing a poem, you're either making marks on a page or you're you're you're, you're making a sound. Uh, but you know you're exer- you're exerting some something there to bring the poem into the world. So I don't know if that's how everyone thinks of poetry, but I definitely feel it when I'm reading in a public space. You know, it's. You're reading with your body, which is why it's hard to read poetry for me anyway, sitting down. And I think a lot of writers will say that it's hard to read sitting down. You almost, you know, you're 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 drawing upon your physical self and your breath, or at least I am. It's how and there's a space to be held kind of with your body. So, yeah, they're very connected, you know, but sure, our bodies are just extensions of the landscape. So. You know, it's all it's all this kind of interconnected song. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's such a it's such a good way to think about it. And yet, you know, when you read the poems on the page, and and Krista, I, I'm going to bring you in here too because I feel the same about your poetry. Um, just you you are so aware of the craft, that you know the form of the poem because I think you know that. It is it is very important to craft your poem in such a way that it isn't simply feelings on a page. It's also, you know, a craft that has been learned over time, I suppose. And it is drawing from a history, a history of language, a history of song and poetry and words. Um, Do you feel like that, Krista, that, you know, it's really important for poets to properly learn their craft and I know that you know I'm not disparaging any other types of poetry or anything like that but you know when you sit down to write a poem do you agonize over the form of the poem or how how is it that you go about it you weren't expecting me to ask you that were you no um I think I think the poem just takes shape but I do think there's a benefit you know to understanding form you know because you have to go through that learning before you go through the, the unlearning that comes with your own writing do you know what I mean um like for me it's usually something I want to write about and that's the beating heart of the poem and, and once I get that then it's a matter of of shaping words around it and I, I could walk around all day kind of half talking to myself a word churning around in my mind and then when I get it down I suppose you know similar to what Amory is saying about you know poetry and song um usually at some point I'll, I'll read it aloud and just see what it sounds like you know, because what it sounds like and what it reads like are are two different things. And, and poetry is meant to be read and heard, you know. Um, so I suppose I don't have a particular form in mind when I'm writing, but sometimes a, a form, well, inevitably a form takes shape at some point. Yeah. And it, for you, Anne-Marie, is it a similar process? Just, just something, does an idea take hold or a line or I'm sure it's different in every case, is it? I suppose it's different with every, well, what I've found now that I have this second collection out is that um, it's different with each book. Um, 
I mean, it's different. For you know, each for a form is going to be different in every poem. But for example, when I was writing Bloodroot, there was a a sense of this sentences kind of rupturing apart, a lot of space and division and gaps that. Um, on the page, you know, I think looking back now, I just see all this loss and tears and rips and, you know, a family kind of um, or an identity or a home being kind of ruptured apart. So the form, you know, kind of reflected that. Um, whereas now in this new book, uh, the shape of the poems is much more together. You know, they're they they read off the page a lot of them like um kind of fables you know that run start to finish in a smooth kind of river and things are closer together literally so um you know so sometimes intuitively you'll begin engaging and which i think what that's what krista's pointing to is sometimes it's an intuitive process that unfolds and you don't know yourself um what's happening until you've written it now there are other times and I might say okay I'm going to I'm going to work with a sonnet for this poem or or I need couplets for this poem because I want you know I want to reflect an intimate twosome relationship or I or I want kind of a three-line form because it allows me to create little beginning middle and end stories you know in each stanza or uh you know, sometimes there's a direct relationship between the subject and the form. So in Bloodroot, I have a poem titled Wall, and that has taken the, the form of kind of a, you know, a block or the sh a very blocky shape on the page. Um, in si that poem that you mentioned, Sisters, for example, it was important for me that whatever shape the poem made on the page, each sister would have space um, on their own. So each sister has a you know, more or less got a um, stands on their own. So it's kind of a mix of intuitively moving into form and, and then making some more kind of deliberate or conscious decisions and, and trying out a few different shapes until the text on the page reflects, you know, that feeling that um, Krista was talking about, you know, or that song. And the best way, um, I think, to find form is to read your poem aloud, you know, because when you read your poem aloud uh, your ear will guide you okay I need to break the line here with a pause or a breath or I need to you know move into a different stanza like your ear is you know sometimes a better editor than your eye <laughs> and I and I do think that culturally we're very tuned to the song and lyricism of poetry so when we read something aloud we can tell if a word is cumbersome or a line too long or a line too short so it's a it's a good tip that was given to me, which is to always read your poems aloud. Um, and it never fails me, really. Uh, I don't know if you find that, Krista, that reading your poems aloud, you can just you can spot the problem that needs to be resolved. Absolutely. It, it works, you know, because um, looking at something on a page and it's funny because, you know, it can look like you have the symmetry and precision in place and often you have these words that you just love to use you know or want to use and sometimes you have to kill off your little darlings you know because you read it aloud and it just it just clinks you know um so yeah it's it's a really um good thing to do and i think it draws on the irish tradition of poetry and storytelling anyway you know because you know 
the Irish poets, like the the chief poet or the the fila, they always read aloud, and you know their guiding, um, I suppose, device was to see how the words fell upon the the ears of the audience. You know, so I suppose there's still an element of that in in modern Irish poetry. You know, being very conscious of how it falls on the ear because you know as a culture we do celebrate poetry and we tend to read it aloud um, more than read it alone. And that brings us so nicely into, well, hopefully a nice reading from your new collection, The Poison Glen, Anne-Marie. Um, so I, what have you chosen for us in, in this collection? So I've chosen the final poem in uh, The Poison Glen. And it's a poem that was commissioned by The Lighthouse Project. And um, The Lighthouse Project is bringing um, literature and poetry and different types of writing to um, lighthouse spaces across the country. So for this commission, I worked with a visual artist, um, well, a film artist who also works with sound, Laura Sheeran. And together we went to Fanad Lighthouse in Donegal. And we spent some time there in that landscape and we decided to create this um, film poem which subverts uh, the custom of uh, the blessing of the boats and the poem draws upon fishermen's superstition and folklore and stories attached to the coast and I've kind of called upon the ancestral mothers to um, yeah, subvert this custom. It's called A Blessing of the Boats by the Village Mothers. Solace upon the hand, upon the wrist, upon the vein. On this day of sailing, we must honour the gods. Step with your right foot first into these boats that we have stitched for you from oxhide, hazel, sally rods and dirt. With this wren's feather we bond you to light and ask that you let go old grudges against the barefoot sister, the red-haired sister, the sister who rises up fish-tailed between the rocks. Our motto is gather. A babe hears first of all through bone and water, the song of the mother before the mother becomes, the song of the mother she dreams to become. Take our dreaming as a torch. Solace upon the nose, upon the lips, upon the tongue. We rid your mouth of salt, of roses, of whistling. We good mouth your sailing. We set you off knowing what we know. Death is a mystery bell, tolling at the water's end. Death is a cargo of gold on a sinking ship and a bird rising out of the wreck. Solace upon the temple, upon the brow, upon the eyelids of our loved ones who have been lost. We close their mouths with light, we light wrap their bones, we prepare for them a deathbed of willow hand-woven. See how the willow bends and yields, how it folds, how it offers back, how it glows, each blade a milk fruit, each blade a peace blade. Who can know how the wave will turn or when the wave will bolt in the language of the mothers? A thun is both a wave and the whole ocean. We keep the light 
for safe return. Oh, that was beautiful. Beautiful. And I love, again, that the idea of, of, you know, ritual that you that we hear in that and the writing of women back into these important rituals. You know, the blessing of the boat is something that is very much a, um, you know, a masculine, almost a rite of passage for, you know, for these sailors. But I think it, it yeah, it's, it's so powerful to think about the aftermath of, you know, what happens at sea. Um, that's that's brilliant. I loved it, Anne-Marie. Yeah, I think there's there's such an old tradition in Ireland of incantations and charms and safekeeping words. And when Laura and I were at um, Famed Lighthouse, we realised that it's really beautiful and wild down there. I mean, the landscape's absolutely gorgeous. But it's also dangerous and and you know it's it's lonesome and um, there have been have been a lot of losses off that part of Donegal. So. We wanted to, I suppose, speak to the, those um, discoveries that we made um, in Fanad. And I particularly wanted to write um, safekeeping words that would both honour loss, but that would also kind of cast out a little bit of light. It's wonderful. Well, you can pre-order Anne-Marie's book, The Poison Glen, from the Gallery Press now. And her first collection, Blood Root, is also available. So you can buy that. That's freely available. Um, and so I just want to thank both of you so much for joining me and for a fascinating conversation. Thanks a million. And um, thanks for just enriching our, our idea about what constitutes critical consciousness as well, Anne-Marie, and for being part of the seminar that we had in WIT that has received such positive feedback, can I tell you, as well, since it, since it happened. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me along. And Krista, it was wonderful to chat with you again. Thanks, Anne-Marie, and lovely to see you too. And thank you, Jenny. Hopefully we'll have you back soon. Bye. Bye.